Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's Nate Geary. And this is Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F words. That's right. Food and football. The third one is fire. Mm. And I'll tell you why. Because Nate's got a little something he wants to tell us. Before we get started on this whole thing, but let's just go ahead and do all the logistics that we have to do before Nate tells us about his lovely fire experience that he recently bequeathed upon the world. Wow, and we've got vocab Twitter. today, baby. Com. I brought all the words today. Literally, I have all the words. All the words. As a reminder, today's show and every show are brought to you by Genesee Brewing Company. As you can see. That's product. Mr. Geary has the pineapple culture that I still have not had yet. But as a reminder that, oh, he's taking a sip just to mock me. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee beer, Genesee light, cream ale, and their specialty line. With beers like Pineapple Gulch and Oktoberfest, Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. A reminder, hit all of all the, buttons. the buttons. All of them. All the engagement buttons. Like, subscribe, rate, review. Telling a friend is kind of like pressing the button. If it's something that you bit. find to be fun. We've got people. It's like old school button pressing. It's old school button. It's the way the yeah. buttons were pressed in ye old times. Yes, yes. Ye olden times. We have two people in the comments section with us who have already decided that they're going to chime in. Karen says, happy training camp weekend, Bill's Mafia. Happy Woo! to you as well, Karen. And Dawn says, hey, guys. Hey, up, you Dawn? guys. Hey, Dawn. So, Nate, last week we were talking about you getting a smoker. Yes. And mm-hmm. today you have a report card. You have a for your smoker. Would you like to tell us how smoking went? And the reason we're going to talk about smoking is because it goes absolutely beautifully in with our topic tonight, which is camping. Yeah. And a lot of people like to smoke. 
while they camp. Nate didn't go camping, but he did go smoking. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So uh, I was nervous. Um, I was going to push it till tomorrow, but I decided, to, you know, my girlfriend wanted to make it for tonight. She's going to be camping. Speaking of camping tomorrow. Um, so uh, we decided to make it tonight right around one o'clock, um, actually around noon, pulled it out of the fridge. I had it defrosting in the fridge for a couple of days. Threw it in some warm water, really tried to bleed out some of the salt. It's corned beef. It's been cured in salt. Like it needed a little bit of a little bit of refreshing. So pulled it out while I had it soaking. I left, went to the co-op, grabbed some fresh uh, ground coriander, uh, grabbed some fresh black pepper, uh, threw some raw raw sugar on there, a little bit of onion powder, a little bit of uh, garlic powder, threw it on there, threw it in the smoker. Luckily, I, I, I was at the station this afternoon, so I, I was on air from 3 to 6.30. And uh, luckily, you know, my girlfriend was here, so, you know, she had to babysit a little bit while I was gone. Uh, we did have a situation where uh, it's the first time smoking. There was going to go, something was going to go wrong. Uh, it didn't feed the pellets in. It kind of like fell in on top of each other, and then a lot of it stayed on the side, and it didn't feed into the auger. So we actually started losing temperature very quickly. Luckily, she went out to check it. We saw that we had to bend down 100 to 165, so immediately we had to prime that bad boy, get more pellets in, raise that temperature back up. We got it up to like 350, and then we brought it back down to 250. So thank the Lord that, um, you know, we my, my girlfriend and her and her witty, she came down to make sure that I gave her credit. So she's on the staircase just making sure that I'm giving her the proper credit, which I appreciate. And I think, you know, you probably realize the same thing, Bruce, is... Uh, when we take credit for the things that our significant others do, um, they hear it, uh, and they're, they're very vindictive about it. And they'll, they'll later bring it up in a situation, uh, like in public, in a public setting or with friends and family, just to really make you wear it. Uh, so she was an integral part of this. Um, yeah, so that's, uh, that's the story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, it came out, she cut it up. I was on another podcast. It's been a busy day for me. I was, working. Then I went to the station. Then I did a podcast before here. And now here I am again. So in the midst of all this, I got to eat what was an unbelievable uh, smoked Reuben sandwich. And it was, um, I'm going to say that I've now got the taste for smoking and I'm, I'm going to be probably diving headfirst into that uh, over the next couple of weeks here. I'm thinking pork belly burnt ends is the next, um, is the next project. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm good with it. I'm good with it. It sounds good. I'll make yeah. sure I uh, I'll make sure I pop by for that one. Yeah, yeah. As a reminder, you can make sure that you get a piece of food for thought and Genesee Brewing Company history. If we get a super chat that is $10 or more, Nate will see to it that you get a pint glass from Genesee Brewing Company. All you got to do is make sure that you're following at Genesee Brewery on Twitter and you DM Nate Geary Sports at Nate Geary Sports, proof of the super chat and the Genesee follow with your address, and he will see to it that you get it. Scott in the comment section says, Hey, guys, thank you both for making sure I got my glass. Nate, was Scott the guy who we no. said it? And it turned out that uh, uh, like three people got lost in my uh, got lost in the sauce. So uh, luckily, they're behind me. I uh, boxed her up today, got some packing tape. They'll, they will be going out tomorrow uh, awesome. when I head out to the golf course. So Uh, For those folks that have been waiting on one, I apologize. Uh, My move and a lot of the other stuff kind of just got got lost in the sauce. But uh, everyone that uh, that reached out to make sure that their names uh, were on the list, I I had a list going 
and they weren't crossed out. So all of them cross-referenced. Everyone was good people about it. They didn't try to 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 put one past me. So uh, I appreciate everybody that reached out. Fantastic. Chris is in the comment section. Says, "Go Bills." I'm always for it. Richard Rush is here. What's up, everybody? Today we are going to talk about camping. I don't know why. I don't know what We're could not- be happening. Bruce and I are not campers, though. I just I do want to point that out. And Bruce, I we've never talked about this, but I know that you're not a camper based on knowing you. And the fact of the matter is, some people know you well enough to know your likes and dislikes before they actually come up. Nate is 100% correct. Yep. I hate camping. Now, I hate camping because I have tried very hard to see to it that my home is an efficient place where I can maintain my routine. Why on earth you would ever want to get away from the thing that you spent so much time trying to get in place is beyond me. And Nate is pointing currently at a cat who I'm pretty sure is in the fireplace. Yeah, I don't know what my cat is. She she's our she's our runt kitty. She loves there's a fireplace down here and in the living room. Loves the fireplace. Well, we're so not going to cook the cat for no, we're not. food. But we are going to talk about camping foods, Mm -hmm. specifically because the Buffalo Bills, this is the last time you and I are going to talk, Nate, until the Buffalo Bills officially open training camp with everybody. And so we are going to do kind of a camp primer. We already did our roster rooms and all that stuff earlier, but we're going to do a camp primer. We're going to kick it off with camping foods. And I would like to outline for you what I believe camping food to be. When I imagine camping food, because I went camping a lot when I was younger. I have never been camping as an adult because really once I can voluntarily decide to go camping, I choose not to. You won't. Yep. But my family, when I was younger, we had a pop-up camper and we used Hmm. to take it and go camping. And we would go to Lake Ray's town in Pennsylvania. And we'd go to other places around Pennsylvania when I was younger, as you mentioned. And as I mentioned before, I was born West Philadelphia. I am the first Prince of Bill's mafia. Mm -hmm. And When I think of camping food, I think of food specifically that aren't hurt. Foods that are not hurt by being undercooked. And I'll give you an example Mm. of this. Red meat, hot dogs, s'mores, and fish. And vegetables. These are what I believe camping foods to be. Foods that if you put them over a fire... And they don't quite get cooked all the way through the way they're supposed to. There's no harm, no foul. The worst possible camping food is chicken. Yes. The worst possible camping food. It is the most finicky. It is the absolute finickiest of all foods. Because it goes from not done, not done, not done, not done, not done. Oh, it's overcooked. (laughs) Very quickly. And when you're dealing... Very dry. And when you're dealing... With a scenario where you're cooking over an open flame, because of course you, we absolutely have to get the camping experience. That's right. Then you lose. It's like the opposite of sous vide. The reason why I hate camping is because I love sous vide. I love the precision. I love the margin for error. And yet camping alleviates all of those things from me. It takes away all of those things that I love. Mm. It control. Increases, it takes away control. It takes away control. I don't want to be without control. And mind you, I've been without air conditioning for two weeks. Today, they came and installed a brand new air conditioner in my house, and it's not working, Nate. Man, that's It's not working. So 
I'm still melting. Not quite as bad as I used to be, but we're still not entirely sure that it's going to get to where I'm supposed to be. Why would I voluntarily choose this by going camping? I do not understand camping at all. Right. We as evolved as a civilization so that we didn't have to go to camping anymore. And then we do we choose to devolve. That's what camping is. It's voluntary devolution. <laughs> and I'm completely out on it. But if I'm thinking about camping food, I am thinking specifically about foods that aren't hurt significantly by being undercooked. Yeah. Nate, what about what do you think? So I, I think of one particular item and obviously everyone's just going to go with s'mores and I'm not, I'm not that kind of guy. Um, but I did want to kind of place a little backdrop story here. So I myself um, used to do a lot of camping as a kid uh, with my younger sister, uh, my younger full sister and my dad uh, and my dad's best friend, Adrian, his son, we used to just, we used to do a lot of Lake George. Uh, we would do one to two camping trips a year. And then I think we had one camping experience where everything got soaking wet. We just got like a, one of those dosing rains where like it was wet. Like you felt wet inside of yourself. Like it was just so grossly wet and humid and disgusting right. um, that we left the tents. And that would have been like 2004, maybe didn't go camping again as a kid after that, for whatever reason, like that was like some kind of scarring experience for my dad and maybe something else happened that I didn't know about, but you know, whatever, we never went camping again. Um, that was until my girlfriend and I started dating. Uh, we did, uh, one of our, uh, her best friend got married last year. We did a camp out, uh, bought, a, bought a, a tent, did a little camp out. And I got to say, it wasn't the worst. We did get absolutely poured on as you might guess. Um, and that night was terrible because there was about this much water, um, inside the tent. Luckily we were on a raised air mattress. Um, once that dried out the next day, the next night was about 45 degrees overnight. So it went from being 80 and 95% relative humidity one night to 46 and literally freezing cold the next night. So that's the thing about the great outdoors is you have no control, as you mentioned, which you guys like you and I, there's a level of control we require. The first place that when I go camping that I really start to think about and have anxiety about my sleeping quarters. I'm very, 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 you talk about air conditioning, my room at all times at 64 degrees. If it's two degrees, if it's 65, 66 degrees, I know it. Like I, I can't sleep if it's 67, 68 God forbid it's 70 degrees. I won't, I won't sleep a lick uh, because I need my comforter. And in order for me to have my comforter on and curled up and cocooned up, I need it to be like cold enough where I don't sweat at all. I'm not warm at all. So uh, I'm a very particular sleeper. So for me, camping is kind of a no go. Um, but what I'll say is the campfire situation, I do really love. And, you know, I, one, one of the things I remember as a kid around the campfire was the little, uh spider dogs right like you'd, you'd cut up the hot dog you'd put it on the stick and you'd cook it and then it would open up and look like a spider right it's spider dog i mean that's we call those octopi dogs uh, octopi dogs octo dogs octo dogs um the thing that i really appreciate is the little sandwich cast iron square you know what i'm talking about right i don't I'm, i do the griddle press right griddle press yeah um, so when I think of campfire food, I'm really thinking about the griddle press. And my dad used to get the canned apple pie filling for a piece of Wonder Bread, canned apple pie filling, piece of Wonder Bread, squeeze, bang, bang, 
Yeah, that was better than any apple pie I've ever had. So um, it's just bread and apple pie filling. Not even like good apple pie filling, like the cheap 99 cent can of apple pie filling. Um, so that was really good for me. The thing that sort of changed my world, though, was when I had that in the griddle, a peanut butter and jelly. Change the game, folks. Change the game. So I am um, a little bit too bougie to go camping, but I'm never not good enough to have some s'mores uh, next to a campfire, next to a lake somewhere where I'm going to leave the campfire when it goes out and I've maybe had a few too many beverages and I'm going to go sleep in the air-conditioned room inside right. the cabin. Yeah. Bougie camping. It's not even really glamping as much as it's just bougie camping. It's called right. bamping. 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 Yeah. So instead of a bamf, you're a bamp. Right. Correct. That makes sense. I get it. I get it completely. Going to the comments, Uptown Bill says, Camping is ambiguous. I feel like Bruce could be a hardcore primitive backpacker on the DL. It's the best way to could not be. interact with people. I wouldn't. I. Oh, he's on to me. Okay. Um, we're just going to go ahead and leave that one. So. <laughs> Scott says we go camping. James Cook Grill Yak. Ah. Uh, Nate, you know, Nate is uh something we're gonna talk about later, but we're gonna get into Nate and I's differing opinions on James Cook and yes. the role that we envision for him moving forward. Uh JR says baked beans for him. Yeah, again, a great food. Uh, you, you know, you baked beans, you can't really undercook baked beans. They're really already cooked. You can eat them. They cold. are cooked. Yeah. It doesn't matter. So it's the same way. Exactly. I, I, I'm 100%. Marinade chicken is fine for the first day camping, cut thinner, wrapped in foil, and you have more flexibility to cook longer with the marinade. Yeah, if you butterfly them, you're good to go. Yeah, but, I mean, it's a lot of prep work. Yeah, like you got to prep the point. day before. You're marinating so, it. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. So, okay. On that note. Yes. Now that we've talked about camping foods, and across the interwebs, you have seen people who are going to be going to Bill's camp talk about the food that you should get when you're in Rochester. Yep. As a reminder, before we get started, let's just refresh everybody where they feel they stand on garbage plates. Mm. Nate, uh, the show, uh, sorry, the show, the camp, the camp is in Rochester, New York mm -hmm. at St. John Fisher university mm -hmm. because they changed it from St. John Fisher college. Yeah. Other people just, they just call it Fisher there, but Rochester is known for the garbage plate. Nate, I don't think we've talked about this. Where are you on garbage plates? Elite. Elite. They're as good as it gets. And I, I, I have it pretty particularly, right? I go mac salad, uh, home fries, but I really prefer the square, the squared 3D home fries, if you know what I'm talking about. I think I that's really a very important aspect to this whole conversation. I don't want tater tots. Uh, I don't want like uh, the bigger round, like the, the the square potato is the is the most important part of this. So mac salad, square potato, burgers, not cheeseburgers, but two burgers, lots of mustard, lots of ketchup, superb amount of onion, shake up, masterpiece. Well, of course, don't forget the Texas hot sauce or Rochester hot sauce, whatever you want to call it. Um, so, so good. So, um, I am all the way out on garbage plates. Yeah, you. I think I think that checks out for you, to be honest. 
Yes. And it's not because I don't like my food touching. It's really not. Um, that's not it. And I'm, I'm all in on a lots of different smorgasbord kind of foods. I'm just all the way out on it. Number one, I'm not a huge raw onion guy. So that hurts. Oh, I don't, I like, I love, I loved cooked onions. You can throw griddled cooked onions on almost any savory food. And I will, I will gladly eat them at that point. I mean, hmm. put them on a hot dog, put them on burgers, put them on sandwiches. I love grilled onions, but raw onions, raw red or raw white onions. I'm all the way out, all the way out on them. Just, just, I mean, I'll eat them, but I just, I just, I, I don't never prefer them. I'll never voluntarily choose them. The other thing is I don't really like straight yellow mustard. Oh, well, you try. You don't like the vinegary aspect. I don't like the vinegar. So yeah. I, again, I'm good with honey mustard, Dijon mustard, spicy brown mustard. I'm good with all that stuff. So two main components I'm all the way out on. In addition to this, I struggle significantly with the mac salad alongside like the hot dogs. I just, See, I but can't, I can't get what about I burger. I haven't had a burger one yet, but I'll try one. But I there's think enough the in it aside is... from the, I mean, yeah, the, right. the, the mustard and the onion are already good. I actually thought, to be honest, I have thought about talking to Mrs. Nolan and seeing if we could try to do like a, like a modified version of a garbage plate here at home and do it with honey mustard or like a spicy brown and do it with grilled sauteed onions instead of raw ones and see if I could like concoct a hybrid version to make mm. it work. Listen, I don't think there, to me, and I know people from Rochester will push back on this. I don't think there is a baseline rule for what your garbage plate has to consist of. I'm not a believer that beans belong in it though. I, I, I see, here's the funny thing. And you know that I'm not a Mayo guy, but yes, the Mac salad, if done properly, I can really overlook the mayo. Same with, and my girlfriend will, when she does the, I don't think she's ever actually done mac salad for me anyways, but she's done a lot of uh, potato salad and she'll do mostly substitute it with sour cream. So that's the prevailing flavor and it's not the mayo in it. Um, but mac salad and to me, the mustard ketchup onion and then the burger aspect of it, but it's it's all about the meat hot sauce, right? Like to me, I think that's kind of the thing sure. that has to be the prevailing flavor and then the mustard ketchup onion is kind of like the 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 icing on top i i do think that the, the are you just are you are, what is your take on mac salad i'm fine with mac salad i actually like mac salad potato salad pasta salad chicken salad tuna salad like i'm in on all the salads i'm completely fine with all of them okay fact, my um, wife and i made a honey mustard jalapeno potato salad not too long ago that was just legendary it was so good. I have a picture wow. on my Instagram of it, and it was it was fantastic. We wow, had sounds very she good. makes a BLT pasta salad that's fantastic. Um, I mean, th there's I am all the way in on a lot of pasta, so I have no problem with mac salad. So I is it really coming down to just the mixture and also not really liking mustard? And like, do you feel like you need those things for it to be a garbage plate that you yeah, that so is widely accepted? You're putting two very very strong flavors. The vinegar of the mustard and the raw yep. white onions, right? You're putting very two very strong flavors on there. But right? so here's the thing: on a hot dog, my family, particularly my dad, is very anti-ketchup on a hot dog. I don't mind ketchup on a hot dog, mustard, ketchup, onion, but it's going to be a very small streak of ketchup 
big streak of mustard, tons of raw white onion. So for me, that mustard white onion flavor combination and the profile that it brings that it elevates, especially like a Salins, like all pork dog or on a hamburger, like that to me is kind of the what I'm going. That's what I'm there for. You know what I mean? This is a I, mustard thing, Bruce, I think is what it, it is. It's a mustard thing. It's a white onion thing. And also, I don't really like straight ketchup that much either. It's fine. It's okay. But like the the hot dog you just described, I would get it plain. I would just take it plain. I'd rather have it plain than mustard, so ketchup, nothing. But just generally, like you don't put anything on your hot dog when you have it. No. I mean, I put I'll, sometimes I'll have it with chili. Sometimes I'll have it with cheese, barbecue sauce, bacon. But your standard hot dog has nothing on it. My standard hot dog is completely plain. Yep. And so when, yeah, the ketchup and the mustard and the white onions, it's just, it just, it's so, not for me. Like, what is your, like, you're at a ball game. Yeah. Are you, are you getting a roller dog at a ball game? Usually not. I usually get a burger. Else? You get a burger. Okay. Yeah. So I've got a weird take about this, but roller dogs taste like bologna. They don't, they sure. don't taste, they don't taste like a hot dog. Like it's Oscar Mayer in a hot dog form and it's rolling on a thing, right? I mean, that's yeah, when sure I, when I'm at, when I'm at a Bills game, last time I was at a Bills game and I'd get a hot dog, or if I'm at a ballpark and I'm getting a, and I'm getting a hot dog, I will eat the hot dog with nothing on it because that's fair. I don't, I don't put mustard ketchup. Well, I mean, I, I do put mustard on a, on a bologna sandwich, but I don't put mustard ketchup onion on a bologna sandwich i usually just put a little bit of mustard white bread and eat the bologna sandwich also been close to at least a decade since the last time i ate a bologna sandwich but um i'll eat that plain without anything on it i just think standard speaking for you for your hot dog preference to be fully naked i think is a really interesting concept to me yeah completely completely naked now again i if i'm at home and i have the opportunity to dress it up and I can do like cheese and barbecue sauce and bacon. Like I'm all in on it. Again, so you put those grilled onions on there, put some grilled onions. I'm all the way in on that too. But I'm not, I, I don't really love, I mean, ketchup's fine. Ketchup's whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, straight mu- yellow mustard. And, but if you gave me like a, like a spicy brown mustard, I tried on a dog for okay. sure. So it's just, I, I, you just don't like the standard classic yellow mustard. That's just not it's you. because it doesn't, it doesn't do a good enough job of hiding the, the really, really, really heavy vinegar. Fair for me. I mean, it's, it's vinegar and mustard seed. I mean, that's yeah. And I'm just, I, I can't get behind it. So we're going to move on to, we can, we could talk all day about dogs. We, we could talk all day about dogs and I, you know, everyone loves, I mean, I, I love dogs. Dogs are better than people, but that's right. We're talking about hot dogs. Now I want to circle back Nate to something that I just talked about in specifically in regards to James Cook. Okay. It's one of the things my eyes are on during training camp that I think your eyes are on during training camp, but I think we're expecting different results. And so one of the things that I mentioned on Twitter not too long ago was that the things that I'm most looking at when it comes to the Buffalo Bills training camp, and that's what we're going to circle down to now. We're going to look at Cook Usage, Elam Readiness, Matariza, Spencer Brown, Gregory Rousseau. Those are the things that I'm looking at most, specifically the first two, cook usage and Elam readiness, because they're the rookies, mm-hmm. right? Ariza matters for sure, but I think you and I have very different opinions. Yes, we do. On I know we what do. Cook could be coming out this year. You mentioned on Twitter not too long ago that it 
The quote is, it would not surprise you if James Cook had an Arian Foster-like training camp. Now, you are not comparing him to Arian Foster. You're not saying he's going to be that player. But Arian Foster famously had a training camp where he just all of a sudden just became the dude out of nowhere. He was just, oh my gosh, he's the dude. And he was the dude. You said that you would not be surprised if James Cook had that kind of camp and all of a sudden he's the first string running back. Now, I would be surprised by that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to outline why I'm expecting something from James Cook, and then you can tell me why you're ex- you might be thinking something else. Okay. So if you're the Buffalo Bills and you sign, essentially, you agree to terms with J.D. McKissick yep. for two years, $7 million, and say that it's, you know, it's, it's a scenario where you're wanting someone who can be a weapon out of the backfield. That's what you want. Then you end up not having that situation come through. You end up signing Duke Johnson, who is known for exactly that thing, to be a weapon out of the backfield, not a between-the-tackles runner, not a three-down back, a third-down back. Then you trade down in the draft multiple times and draft James Cook. That doesn't scream for me that you were looking for a dude. So let me ask you this, Nate. Do you think they took him with that intention? Or you look at everything I outlined and you think, I understand what you're saying, Bruce. I just think he's that good. Mm-hmm. And I think he's going to be. I know what they intended him to be. I think it's pretty clear when you outline it what you think they intended him to be. But I just think he's that good. Is that your take on it? So I think it's a little bit of that. I also want to point out that it might be a little bit of the fact that I'm not and haven't been overly impressed with the other guys in the group. And I know that maybe is underselling what Devin Singletary did towards the end of last year. I did think that he played much better football than he did earlier on in the season. He finally sort of took that job by the, you know, he took the reins of the job. But also he was the de facto guy because the other guys were not playing well. And Zach Moss did not look good, or really, he, he just didn't take the job. Um, so I think because of that, that there's a couple of things here, is that James Cook is the type of player that I very much have wanted this Bills offense to have. That 4-4, sub-4-4 speed, outside runner. Don't make any qualms about it. This is not a guy that's going to pound the rock 7, 10, 15 times between the tackles every game. Um, but I do think, and and my I think my more subtle take on this whole thing, Bruce, is I do believe he is a he is a complimentary piece, but I do believe at some point this season, maybe it's later on. I think I, yesterday on the Rock Pile Report, I made a, a bet with Drew that by week fifteen he would be seeing more touches than Devin Singletary. Touches than Devin right. Singletary. Total um, touches. Total touches. Uh, and I do think like he'll end up kind of being the guy that first play of the game he's out next to Josh Allen. It'll be twenty eight. So. I'm excited to see him. That's where my eyes are on this camp because, you know, in a funny way, most of the people that go to the Buffalo Bills training camp, what are you guys watching for, right? You're watching Josh Allen. You're watching the receivers. You're watching – you can watch Kyrie Elam. You can watch Dawson Knox. You can watch the running backs. If if James Cook, if we're talking about a left guard, what are you going to take away from training camp? Like here's the great thing about running back is – you're going to know very quickly whether or not he belongs on that field 
because with the ball in his hand, you're going to see why he was drafted. To see why Cody Ford, to see why Ryan Bates, you know, like it's just hard as a common football fan, as a novice football fan, to understand why you should be excited about why a left guard, what a left guard is doing during training camp should excite you. You're going to know very early on in this training camp whether or not James Cook excites you. And I think that's probably the the draw of him, but it's the draw of the position. Um, and it's the draw of being able to determine, did, did they get this thing right? And I keep going back to the fact, Bruce, and I know I said this to you last time when I was talking about, you know, why I, I like Cook so much. Bills took him in the second round. It's the highest pick ever dedicated by this regime to a running back. They've spent a lot of assets on it. They've signed for agents, uh, always to kind of like the league minimum used third round picks using a second round pick and not expecting that second round pick to beat out your two third round picks. Eventually I think would be a waste of a pick. Do you think that cooks a waste of the pick? If he's only ever JD McKissick. Yes. Hmm. Do you think that if they were going to take a running back who is not someone who profiles immediately as that between the tackles three down runner, do you think they should have taken somebody different? Do you think that I was do. a Rashad White moment? Uh, if Rashad White's the guy, sure. I, I, But here's the thing. I don't believe that just because he's a really good pass catcher means that he can't be Antonio Gibson. It doesn't mean he can't. I mean, who's a former wide receiver, by the way, right? Like, I just don't think we have a big enough sample size to know for sure that he's not a guy that can carry the load and be in every down running back in the NFL. If those really even exist anymore, those are, those are, those are hard to find, man. Uh, there is very, very few teams with a true every down running back. And I'm not sure that'll be him. And I don't think he needs to be to be what we're talking about, which is still kind of like he he's a well-rounded, does everything sort of back. I think he can be. I think he will be that player. Are you concerned about sub 200 pound frame when it no. comes to holding up? No. Um, he played do, in the SEC. Do you uh, look to? Yeah, but he didn't get a lot of carries in the SEC. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Do you look to certain running backs as like, well, this guy can do it, so he can do it? What's Christian McCaffrey? Christian McCaffrey, oh, give me a second. I'll, tell, I'll actually tell you in a second here. Hold on. Christian McCaffrey weighs 205 pounds. 205. So That's, he's 10 pounds heavier. It's not the biggest. Uh, and also, he, he's been banged up a lot. <laughs> Yes, recently, but he played his first four years. I mean, he played every game. Um, yes. What is is there a comparable sized back in your that that that's popping up in the top? Of the your one mind? that always pops up for me, and I, I please please before before everyone jumps on my back, I am not saying that James Cook is this person. I'm saying they share I almost identical physical measurements. And it's Jamal Charles, hmm. who was roughly the same size. Yeah. And also extremely fast. Um, but I, I, I've gone on record as saying this before, and I understand that this is probably blasphemous. I think Jamal Charles is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. That's how uh, good I, I think, think I, Jamal I think Charles I agree is. With you. I, I think I agree with you. St still to this day, to this day, Jamal Charles leads NFL history when it goes down to yards per carry. NFL history, James Brown, Walter Payton. No, no, it's Jamal Charles <laughs> mm. for players who have enough carries to qualify. 
I'm not saying James Cook is Jamal Charles. Please, I'm going to say it again. I'm not saying James Cook is Jamal Charles. But Jamal Charles is such a crazy outlier when it comes to stuff that he's one of the only sub 200 pound backs that you can look at and go, yeah, he he became like the dude. Yes. Like, like the dude, the dude. And everybody else is... Uh... Scott asks, how is James Cook in pass pro? Not great, Bob. No. Uh, if he's out on the field in third downs, it, he's running a route. Now, the good news is at, at some point, it gets to be a, a spot where if you're really, really good at running routes, even if they expect you to, it's still okay. Because if you get a scenario where that person has to block, you might not be utilizing him properly. Now, you want him to be able mm. to block if at all possible. But if you look at what the Bills did against the Steelers week one, they ran a lot of 10 personnel, and they really got their backs out into routes a lot. Yep. And one of the things I've been meditating on a little bit this offseason. Meditating on I have been meditating on it. I have been sitting cross-legged on the ground. There has been Enya music in the background. There's been incense, <laughs> incense burning. Enya. I have had my palms toward the ceiling, and I have found myself in a place of gratitude. And I have said namaste, and I have laid over into uh, Shavasana. And I have said, you know, I keep getting the vibe that the Bills want to be more like they were week one in 2021. They they want to get five people out into the route. That's what they want. But they want to do it in a way that's more disguising than just driving out five wides. Right. They want to get five people out in the route. Yeah. And this is part of that. Getting James Cook is part of that. So, no, I don't think he's a good blocker. Um, if he's good enough as a receiver, it doesn't matter as much. Now, obviously, being able to block is better than not being able to block. Right. More uh, traits give you options, right? And more traits give you more options. But Nate and I have different views, which is interesting because I'm the one, I'm the one who drafted James Cook in Dynasty. <laughs> yep, you are. But I drafted him in, in Dynasty specifically because getting a rookie running back who you know is going to catch passes in a high-powered offense for at least the next four years that's pretty valuable. <laughs> like even if he's, even if he's RB 24, Liam Johnson says the towel of Bruce. Exactly. Right. That is the towel of Bruce. It is. He, I'm, I'm going to use that towel to wash off. Um, <laughs> so aside from the James cook thing, names, the other thing I'm really looking at that I want to ask you about, I want to talk a little bit about is I'm really looking at Kyir Elam's readiness. Yeah. And I know he played in the SEC. And one of the things that they were talking a little bit about in minicamp is that because you can't really get contact, you really have to work on your technique because you can't just go up there and mug somebody at minicamp. That's just not an option. And it sounds to me like that's something we should be looking at with Kyrie Elam. Is don't look at him when he's impressed. Look at him when he's an off man. Look at him when he's in the yep. zone. That's what we should be looking at. Is that what you're looking at with Kyrie Elam when it comes so, to this year? We had this conversation with Joe Marino today on the afternoon show. And, you know, Joe being the high-level speaker that he is, especially just about the game of football, like I, I kind of asked him this question. And I said, if you had a pick in the NFL, you're drafting a, 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 a corner. Would you want off the bus a guy who can off the bus be your best press man corner? 
in a team and a defense and a scheme that runs lots of zone? Or would you rather have that guy who walks off the bus and is just riddled with technique and understanding and nuance and just a, a comfortability level in zone that you have to teach him the press game, but he's got the zone game down packed. And he, I think, I don't want to speak for him, but it felt like he was saying like what the Bills did, going out and getting a guy that can play press man. He was talking to Ben Fennell of CBS, whose, I guess, like main job is to talk into Charles Davis's ear during games to like feed him research and so on and so forth on the on the Bills broadcast. He did a bunch of Bills games last year, and he sort of commented, Joe, about how he was surprised how much how much man coverage, especially on third down, the Bills ran last year, even when Tredavious White came out of the lineup. This is a defense, Bruce, that I, I do believe wants to run more man coverage. So knowing that Kyer Elam's strength coming off the bus is that man coverage, that was not Levi Wallace. Levi Wallace was an off-ball corner. He was the kind of guy that you can sit, leave in his zone. You know he's going to be responsible. He's going to have good technique, good instincts. I feel like I'm good with Kyer Elam learning those instincts, learning those techniques of playing in the Sean McDermott zone defense on the run. He has made a living turning mediocre corners into elite level corners. Josh Norman, James Bradbury, right? The list goes on. He's turned really, I think, middle average uh, average cornerback play into elite level quarterback play. He's gotten many guys paid in this league. Um, I'll take my chances. I think there's not going to be as much of a ramping up period as you think. I also think other than week one where Cooper Cup and Allen Robinson are on the field, those first seven weeks, okay. I mean, yeah, they're going to play the Dolphins in there. and That'll be a test. But it's not like they're playing Devontae Adams and Justin Jefferson and, uh, you know, the league's every week and they're going down the gauntlet of wide receivers in the league. I, I think Kyrie Elam is uniquely set up to play the position the way that I think Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier want to play more of. So I think that trends really well in his direction. In my opinion, anyways, I don't know if we're going to get right away walking in the door, Kyrie Elam playing at a high level. I don't think you're going to get, I'll give you a great example. Patrick Sertan walked in the door for the Denver Broncos and was already one of the better cornerbacks in the NFL. Mm -hmm. For those of you who didn't follow me at all last year, I, I would literally watch Patrick Sertan film at Alabama to feel better about humans and the world that we live in. And I would know that there truly is beauty left in the world. And that when you see things on the news and the, the violence and the hate, and you could just go to your little space and you could watch Patrick Sertan play the cornerback position. And you could feel better knowing that there was beauty in the world and that there was wonderful, wonderful things. And, and things were going to get better because Patrick Sertan was around. That's the way I felt about Patrick Sertan. And, he did not disappoint. He was already one of the better corners in the NFL because he was so technically refined. I right. don't think we're going to see that from Kai Yerlim right away. But like Nate said, if you give Sean McDermott a below average athlete, he can turn him into reasonable. What happens when you give him a good athlete? What can he turn him into? So it's something to keep an eye on moving forward. So Nate, what are you keeping an eye on that I haven't talked about so far? Uh... I, I, you, you said something there and hold on. Come on, come on, come on. It's, it's riveting content. 
right here. What's, no, what's happening right now? So it made me think of a a departed quote. Um, oh, when so you you're said that, for it. do you want me to do you want me to keep talking and stall while you look for it? Um, it's well. The problem is, is I don't I don't remember what the quote is. I, I mean, I do. It's on the tip of my tongue. I just can't think. Uh, it's not coming to the top of my mind. We can move on. Sorry. Uh, what, what did you ask me to, to say? Because I, I, all I was I was deep into thought about that quote. <laughs> I said, "Is there is there something you're keeping your eye on that we have not already talked about? Because uh, I have kind of pitched to you some things that I'm keeping my eye on, but you haven't gotten a chance to really volunteer things that you're keeping your eye on that we could comment on." Spencer Brown. And I think we're taking a little for granted that this was a player that took over the starting job from Daryl Williams, who had come off a really good season, got paid, um, really had a resurgence-type season in 2020 with the Bills. And I thought Spencer Brown outplayed him. And it was very evident early on that he was just this athletic specimen. And that COVID, the injury in COVID, I think put him in a position where he got burned by some Good edge plate rushers. There's no doubt about it. But I'm looking for him to walk into training camp five, 10 pounds heavier this year, but has that explosiveness back, has that technique, and is a little bit more confident in his game. I I, I think in terms of ceiling, Spencer Brown could be one of the best right tackles in football. He has the athletic ability. I think he has the instinct. It's the technique that I think if he can figure out, and, and Aaron, there might not be a better offensive line coach than Aaron Cromer to maximize the ceiling, to get to the ceiling of, of uh, Spencer Brown. I, I'm really excited about his camp. I think this is a big year for Spencer Brown because this is an offensive line that desperately, desperately needs another like dog, another dude. Um, and I'd love for it to be Spencer Brown on the other side of Deion Dawkins. I said this when I was on a show with Anthony Prohaska from Cover One, and it didn't ruffle any feathers. And the reason it didn't ruffle any feathers is because y'all know I'm right. You can make a significant argument that Spencer Brown is the most athletic tackle to every play, ever play in the game of football ever. Yep. That's not hyperbole. No. Literally, if you track his RAS, he's number one out of over 1,100 tackles that have been graded since 1984. And do you think the athletes were better or worse in 1983 than they are now? <laughs> Spencer Brown may be the most athletic oh my God. who has ever existed. And Nate just had a cat jump on him. And so when you give a coach like Aaron Cromer, an athlete like him, I think you have an opportunity there for something special. The other thing I think we don't talk about enough is that Spencer Brown was not good last year. Spencer Brown was not good last year. He was he flashed. He, he flashed. But if you asked me about his play as a whole last year, I would never say the word good ever. And you shouldn't either. But that doesn't mean the flashes weren't there. And that doesn't mean the potential wasn't there. We do this thing all the time where we talk about offensive linemen, like somehow they're safe. And if you draft an offensive line, you just go, oh, well, you're going to draft this player and you're going to plug him in and he's going to be a 10-year starter. That narrative needs to die. That is not a thing. It's like we expect development from every other position in the world except for tackle or guard. You just plug him in and go, oh, remember all the hand-wringing about Andrew Thomas after his yeah. first year, Nate? Guess what? He ended up really well. He played really yeah. well last year. Yep. Everyone was like, oh, my gosh, Andrew Thomas. Oh, we should have taken Mackay Becton. How did that work out for the Jets? Should have yeah, taken right. Mackay Becton. 
right? Sure, oh, well, we should have taken Tristan Wirfs. Okay, well, we, maybe you should have taken Tristan. Yeah, he's, he's, really, he's, good. he's, really, he's good. really good. But he's really good. I mean, depending on how you feel about Jedrick Wills, you could make a significant argument that Andrew Thomas is the second best tackle from that class. Yeah. At this point. So we do this thing where we say, oh, well, you know, you're going to draft this tackle off this line. And then if they're not good immediately, we go, oh, they're bust. They're bad. Yep. As if somehow every other position is allowed to develop except for except offensive linemen. Yep. So Spencer Brown wasn't good, and that's okay. I did a show when uh, when Josh Allen was a rookie, and the name of the show was Josh Allen was bad, and that's okay. That was literally the name of the show because I kept saying, "Okay, he played bad." Okay, it's a yeah, it's right. a data point. That that's fine. Even an entire year not playing well is still okay. Now an entire year of not playing well where there's no flashes. Okay, now we got to talk about this, right? Because the difference development is just you getting the flashes more consistently. That's what development is. Because we talked about this on Twitter earlier, and I I think it applies to this situation. Talent describes the breadth of what you are capable of. People who are more talented are capable of more things. Skill determines how often you consistently hit the good boundaries of your talent. So it doesn't matter how skillful I am. I could be the most skilled football thrower in the entire world, Nate. It will not matter. I cannot outthrow Josh Allen. It doesn't matter Hmm. because his talent far surpasses surpasses mine. Even if my skill was as good as it could possibly be, I don't have the arm strength. I can't throw it 80 yards on a line. Can't do it. So... That is the scenario we're talking about when it comes to Spencer Brown. The talent is enormous. It's just a matter of building the skill level. And that's what Aaron Cromer's for. So I absolutely applaud you for bringing up Spencer Brown. Thank you. Thank and we you. are going to move on to training camp food simile because we are, we are way behind. We, we, mm-hmm. we, we went down the rabbit hole when it comes to camping foods and training camp and James Cook and everything else. But for the food simile, it is... As you would expect, training camp makes me feel like. I got a good one. Take it away. Makes me feel like the first day of school. And if you remember the first day of school, like your mom. And so I I know that all parents are different and had different schedules. My mom uh, used to work later in the morning. So when I was in high school, my last couple of years, like I'm leaving and my mom's still in bed because she used to, you know, like get to bed late, have to wake up a little bit later for her work day. So, but first day of school, you know what I was getting? Eggs, pancakes, toast, hash browns, you name it. Like it was a smorgasbord. Everyone was excited. Even your parents, your mom, your dad, right? Like first day of school, even first week, because first week is Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, right? You should never expect that what you're going to eat for breakfast on the Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the first week of school is what the rest of the school year is going to look like. So I think for me, Like it reminds me of that first meal that you get, like your parents sending you off to school, especially later on in my later years. Like I used to get the smorgasbord. I used to get like chocolate chip pancakes, home fries, little ham steak that's been put in the cast iron. Like just really pull out the whole diner stops. Um, And that's kind of like what training camp is. The the nostalgia, especially of being back at St. John Fisher, so training camp and having a back really makes me feel like it's the the first breakfast meal 
of that first week of school. It's it, it'll probably never be as good as it is right now. That's a good one. That's a really good one. For me, the food simile of being in training camp made me feel like I'm stuck in a house with seasonal food people and they finally decided it's time to crack out a crock pot. See, now, <laughs> there was a time when my wife and I actually temporarily, we were waiting to move into our house. We were temporarily living with my wife's brother and his wife. And my wife's brother is a seasonal food person. Certain things can only be eaten at certain times of the year. And I didn't really realize that these people existed until I sat down and had a chat with him. Mm -hmm. And there were specific times when he said, okay, now it, now we can start making crockpot meals. It's now appropriate to make crockpot meals. Is there a, why, the but why, why crockpot? Is it because like slow cookers, you can only do slow cookers when it's cool outside. Can't do slow cookers when it's hot outside. I, 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 listen, I don't the face you're making is the face I made because that's ridiculous because you should eat what you want, when you want, how you want, because life is short and we're all just staring into the abyss, hoping there's know, enough Bruce, food to keep us okay. Here's one of the reasons why, like I, I was thinking, okay, well maybe one of the reasons he didn't like crockpot food in the middle of summer is because you have the crop pot on and it makes the house warm or something. But I'm but like, the, no, it doesn't kind of really do that. Makes the house warm. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not like to me, when you no. turn the oven on, we had the oven on tonight. She, my girlfriend made muffins black, by the way, black raspberry muffins upstairs. I'm in, I'm in. Um, I'll see you in, I'll see you in a little bit. Yeah. See you. See you in a minute. Um, the crock pot is a way less, infringing piece of a uh, piece of hardware that you're going to use to make food. And frankly, you could set it up in the morning, come back from work and have it ready to go. Like set it, forget it. I don't, that is, that's a bad take by your, is it, you said your brother-in-law, my brother-in-law. Yeah. Mrs. Nolan's brother, Mrs. Nolan's brother. And disagree. yeah. And this is what it feels like. What it feels like is I'm trapped in a house with those people and they finally decided it's time to let me use a crock pot. I finally got there. It's crockpot. It's time. After a long period of waiting that is really unnecessary. I should not have to wait this long. All of a sudden, they decide, you know what? Yeah, it is cool enough. I will have that crockpot meal. Mm -hmm. You are allowed to make chili now because you can't make chili in July, apparently. You can only, only make it in October. So that's, that's, that's the way that's wrong. training camp makes me feel. It makes me feel like I finally bursted through, you know? Yeah, busted out. I got it. We're there. I feel frustrated. I feel like I'm releasing that tension in my food. Journey. In your in your crockpot. In my crockpot. Yeah. So, we are going to finish it up with winners and losers from this week in the NFL, and we've had a decent amount of a decent amount of NFL news this week, so we should have some stuff to pick from. And I'm going to go first. We're going to start with losers. Okay. Loser this week, any team who does not have a cool alternate uniform. Yeah. You are missing the boat, man. Everybody's in on it. And so many of them are awesome. So many of these alternate uniforms are absolutely awesome. And if you are a team who is missing out, maybe you have a beloved alternate uniform that your team and your fans have been begging for and you won't give it to them, you're the loser this week. Nate? Loser this week, 
Baltimore Ravens. They watched the Arizona Cardinals just absolutely bring up the Brinks truck for Kyler Murray re-signing five-year, a billion-dollar contract. And here are the Ravens who appear to not even be able to get Lamar Jackson to the negotiating table. The Ravens are in trouble, Bruce. Because I was listening this morning, Extra Point Show, Sal Capaccio was talking about this, and I actually disagree with Sal. The question was like, you know, when is it time to panic or get really concerned if you're the Ravens? And he basically said after this season, they get to the to the end of the season and there's no contract extension. That's when they should worry. I think they should be worried right now. If he won't even get to the table, that's a bad sign if you're the Ravens. That's a, that's a franchise with stability, uh, a franchise that has won a Super Bowl with this coaching staff and has one of the best front offices and stability stable front offices in the league. If they can't get Lamar Jackson to have a conversation about a contract extension, they're in real trouble. I don't, I don't need any waiting. They, they should be panicking right now. Okay. You're going to love this. You're going to absolutely love this. My winner for the week. It's Lamar Jackson, isn't it? Was NFL GMs who are negotiating with a quarterback, including the Ravens. That he's they're your biggest winner. Any NFL GM who's negotiating with a quarterback is a winner. And here's the reason why Murray's contract was not fully guaranteed. That means Watson did not establish a new precedent for quarterback contracts, which means now Maybe. the Ravens and the chargers and the Bengals and everyone else do not have to offer. I disagree. Five year. $230 million contract that's fully guaranteed. They I can disagree. offer it with $160 million in guaranteed or $161 in guaranteed and not have to do what the Browns did. Because the big concern around the owners' meetings is there's was, a new precedent. Dude, Cleveland, yeah. what have you done? Yeah. You've just broken the entire market. All we needed from an ownership standpoint, was for somebody to sign their quarterback to a deal that was five years, $230 million, and it wasn't fully guaranteed. And then it, then everyone else would be able to look at it and go, no, so, no Cleveland's the outside, outlier. They're just dumb, right? And now Cleveland is the outlier. So now if you're Baltimore, you can look at Lamar and not go the Watson contract. You can go, we'll give you a dollar more than the Murray contract instead. And so, so that's a win for me because a new precedent was not established. And that matters because it has trickle effects through the entire NFL. No playoff wins, one playoff appearance and significant drops in play over the second half of the last two seasons. Yes. I if just, if Justin Herbert wins a playoff game this year, he takes them to the AFC championship game. If Joe Burrow gets the Bengals back to the AFC championship game, if Lamar Jackson does nothing, Lamar Jackson is going to ask for a fully guaranteed contract. So and I think you have leverage not to give it to him now. What's the leverage? The, the leverage that, is just that Kyler Murray didn't sign one. Yeah. The leverage is that Kyler Murray is the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL and it's not fully guaranteed. The Watson deal is an outlier. And if not, we'll I'm tag not so you for sure. two years. I'm not so sure. I, I'm not willing to say just because the, the 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 first contract after Deshaun Watson wasn't fully fully guaranteed. I don't. I'm not convinced that Kyler Murray's on that level. Pro Football Talk actually tweeted an hour ago 
uh, opinion piece saying the Ravens should offer Lamar Jackson the Kyler Murray deal with an extra 100000 per year in new money right now. This is a guy who is, Florio is notoriously pro player, right? And anti-owner in these discussions. And he's the one saying, yeah, no, Lamar, no, do it. The problem is the Lamar situation is unlike any other. Because he's negotiating his own deal. Yeah, I think I that I think that's I think that's a big thing. By the way, I just wanted to point out um, there's a there's a football score happening on a baseball game right now. It's twenty seven yeah, like to three. Twenty seven to three. It's the the top of the, the six. Red Sox. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto. I just I just I had to say that. I mean, we're we're really. What the is the biggest world, blowout in baseball history? It's got to be close to this. I I don't I don't think I've ever seen thirty runs before. But it, it's funny that everyone is so ready for football that even Major League Baseball is like, all right. Oh, baby. Nate, we're getting close. We're getting so close. The biggest blowout game in Major League history was August 22nd, 2007, when the Texas Rangers beat the Baltimore Orioles 30-3. to Wow, we are super close. We're close. close. You don't want to be on the the wrong side of history. History. Yeah. uh, By the way, Bruce, in this game, there was an inside-the-park Grand Slam. Oh, see, now that's awesome. Now, I'm not a baseball guy. I'm not a huge baseball guy either. I used to be when the Royals were good, but not anymore. I gotta get I'm to not, I'm just, I'm not a baseball guy. Okay. Your winner. I gotta get to my winner. Lamar Jackson. Well, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> we we are, go. We're such jerks. And it's the, you know, here's the funny thing is we don't even really plan for this type of thing. Like, no, it, we just works this well. I wish that I was lying when I told people or like when, when we started that one food for thought show. And you said three F's and, and you said food, football. And I said, Frankenfurters. Frankfurters, Frankfurters. And it was literally what you're going to say. We don't plan for that kind of stuff. It just happened. It's organic. It's, it's why this show is so great. It's so niche. Lamar that Jackson. It. Lamar Jackson. That's it. That's it. Just Lamar Jackson. I, don't to, I guess I kind of explained it already to you. Because he's going to get all the money. It. He's going to get all the money. All the dollars. Not by the Ravens, though. He's going to get traded. Whoa, you're just going to leave us like that? Lamar Jackson's going to get traded. No way. No yeah. way. Yeah. The Ravens have his, have repeatedly said that Lamar's the dude. Whenever he's ready, we're going to extend him. No way. No way. Want to know why? I'm ready. He wants to play in Miami. He wants to play in Miami. Yep. They're going to trade him. To the Dolphins. The Dolphins have the, have the assets to do it. Mark my words. He'll be a Miami Dolphin next year. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's ballsy. I, you know, I appreciate that. Uh-huh. I appreciate that about you, Nate. Uh-huh. Just swinging. Just shoot her. Shoot or shoot, man. Shoot or shoot. What am I supposed to do on this podcast? Be subtle? No. No, of course not. No. So, Old Lamar Flanders. Jackson... Lamar Jackson's going to tell the Baltimore Ravens he doesn't intend to re-sign with them long-term. So go ahead. You can franchise tag me. I'm not going to sign the tag. Um, and then what I want you to do is give up, give, give a call to the Miami Dolphins because that's my that's my destination that I want to go play at, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, And they're going to trade like three or four first-round picks for him and maybe a roster player of some kind. And that'll be that. And the Ravens will have all of the picks to move up ne- in next year's draft to go get one of the top quarterbacks, CJ Stroud or 
um, you know, the next Lamar Jackson in, in, in what's his name? Young from, from Alabama. Um, Bryce I, Young. Bryce Young, I feel very good about that take. Like that could happen. Wow. Wow. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We talked about the things, all, all the, the things, things. Quite all the things. so many things. Yeah. We had bold flavors. We had subtle nuanced flavors. We, we had did. cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. I hope you enjoyed the show this evening. I hope you had a good Friday evening or Saturday morning with us. And most importantly, I hope you didn't leave hungry. <laughs>